Well, good morning, Rethink Life Church. Y'all doing good today? Awesome. Hey, do me a favor and give those watching us right now live online one more round of applause and just welcome them back into our experience today. We're so thankful and honored that you have chosen to worship with us. And honestly, you couldn't have picked a better day. Uh, I'm personally excited about what you're getting ready to hear from Pastor Mike Johnson. Did an amazing job just a few moments ago at our 830 service. And we'll be commuting over to our Lake Nona campus here in just a few minutes. But one of the things that I appreciate about Mike Johnson is his heart and his vision for the next generation. I've known Pastor Mike for a long time. We won't go too far back from the standpoint of putting numbers on how far we go back together. But let me just say this. We've known each other for a long time, and I've always admired and respected his leadership, his vision, and his creativity. Pastor Mike Johnson was one of the first uh, staff hires of a church that Michelle and I used to attend many years ago called Fellowship Church there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And when he first came on staff there, the church had roughly about 75 kids. That was birth through fifth grade. Today, that church averages over 6,000 children under Mike's leadership and his vision and what God has used him to do and accomplish through that amazing church and now over eight campuses spread out in different states across the country. And um, I recently just was feeling the need and really just sense, really sensing the, I guess the sense of urgency to speak into specifically the heart of our families. And so I couldn't think of anybody greater than Pastor Mike Johnson to come and to share. I heard this message that he's giving today a number of years ago. It's one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. And it, it, it changes the way you think about kids. It changes the way you perhaps are even thinking when it comes to maybe perceptions towards the next generation. And so today with out any, any further delay when it comes to taking up his time, I want you to open up your heart, open up your mind to receive what God wants to say through him today. But like we always do here at Rethink Life Church, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you please stand to your feet and give my good friend, Pastor Mike Johnson, a round of applause today. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right, thank you. Well, it's great to be here today. Um, it's always an honor to be able to come to churches like this and to see great people who I know love God and uh, love kids, love the church, love the community of the church, and to be able to speak into that myself. As Rodney said, we have known each other for a very long time. I was the children's pastor at Fellowship Church for 25 years and uh, have given my life to working with kids and love kids. And there's a reason why I have done that, which I'm going to get into in just a few moments. But I decided, since I am a kid's pastor, kids love stories, I love to tell stories. So I thought I would tell you a story, because really, everybody loves stories. Adults love stories. Senior adults love stories, not just kids. So this story really has a lot to do with what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of my time up here on the stage. It's a story that we have to go way back in time. It was an actual event that really did happen. And when we go back there, we're going to put ourselves onto a giant windswept plain. Clouds are kind of rolling in. It's dark, a little bit oppressive feeling. Drizzle is beginning to fall. And as we look across this plain, we see that there are men and women that are coming from everywhere. 
They're coming from all different avenues. Some are riding horses, some are in carriages, some are walking, but they're all men of authority that are entering onto this plain. And when they come out onto this plain, they notice something that they hadn't seen there in their previous travels back and forth past this plain, because in front of them was this golden idol that was raised 90 feet above their heads. But that wasn't the only thing that was on the plains of Dura on that day, because off to the side, there was a blazing furnace. And on this kind of cold day, it gave off such a warmth and such a heat that even from a long distance away, they could feel it, almost kind of beckoning them to come closer to warm up. But make no mistake, this furnace wasn't put there for their comfort. This furnace was put there ultimately as a weapon of death. And as the men gathered around the idol, an announcement and a decree was made because they weren't here just to participate in a ceremony. They were also here to participate to show the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that they were allegiant, they had, he had their allegiance, that they served only him, that they worshiped only him. And they were told that when the music began, they were all to bow down and worship this 90-foot golden statue. Now, for most of the men who were attending that day, that was no big deal. They were never raised in a system that taught them that there was only one true God. They believed in many gods, so here's just another one. No big deal, we'll bow down. But there were three men standing in that crowd who bowing down to this idol was a big deal. Three men who, when they were young, Teenagers had been taken captive into this place called Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. Three men who, in their heritage before they were taken, were taught that there is only one true God, only one God of their ancestors, and he is the only one that should be worshipped. And obviously this golden idol was not him. So they had a decision to make. When the music began, all of the men bowed down, laid their face into the mud, but the three didn't. The three stood there. I picture them with their hands raised and their faces pointing up toward the heavens, waiting for the inevitable. Because the king said, if you don't bow, you'll be thrown into that fiery furnace. Well, that inevitable came pretty quickly as the strong man came and grabbed them and pulled them toward the king's structure. And I can't help but imagine that what was going through their minds as they were stumbling forward, that they had probably just left their privileged positions that they had worked very hard for to get. They were losing that forever. They were brought into the king's area and the king was not happy he couldn't believe that anybody would dare defy his edict. And he leaned forward, probably out of respect to these three young men, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna give you one more chance. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to go back out there and bow, but if you don't, I could picture him leaning forward through gritted teeth saying, I will throw you into that fiery furnace. And when I do, what God will have the power to save you from my hand? 
The three men looked at the king when he said this, and they said, we don't have to give you an explanation for what we're doing, because we know that our God has the power to save us when you throw us into that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods, and we will not bow down to your idol. Pretty gutsy thing to do. King dove into a fit of rage, and he called his strong men to come together, and they took the three men, and they bound their hands, they bound their feet together, laid them down, and literally drugged them like cattle toward the furnace, which the king had ordered to be turned up seven times hotter than it had ever been turned up before. And as the strong men got closer with dragging these three men behind them, the heat began to become more intense. First it was just kind of uncomfortable, then it became more unbearable, until finally, right before they threw the three men into the fire, the heat was so intense that those strong men burned up themselves. And the three men tumbled into this fiery furnace. Standing up for what you believe in, in such a difficult time, only happens with God's help and with strong morals and beliefs. But as you know, that's not the end of the story. There would be no fiery death on this day because in response to the king's edict of who has the power to save you out of my hand, the one true God was going to show him that he had that power. A light shone out of the furnace and the king looked in and he fell back in his chair. He didn't know what to think. There shouldn't be anything in there. They should be all burnt up. But instead he sees not three men, he sees four as the light of God shone out to all of the people. He was amazed he quickly called for them to come out, and they did. And when they came up into his presence, they didn't even smell like smoke, and their clothes weren't even singed. And because of their courage and because of their inner fortitude to stand for what was right, the king made a declaration that no one should do anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or else they would be torn limb for limb because there was no other God that could rescue like this. I went into children's ministry because of stories like that. Standing up for what you believe in in difficult times, not giving in to peer pressure, not giving in to those rationalizing thoughts that we have in our heads when we're faced with the difficult decision of going, well, maybe just this time I'll do, I'll disobey because who's going to know and it's going to save me a whole lot of headache down the road. Three guys who wouldn't give in to that. Three guys who stood there and had the moral fortitude to obey God rather than disobey God. Stories like theirs and stories like Joseph, Esther, Daniel, all great stories in the Bible of men and women who stood in the face oftentimes of death but did the right thing. And I remember thinking, what was it that they had that caused them to do that? And as I began to study in his word 
through school, I discovered what I believe, what I know, is the answer. Back in uh, the Old Testament times, there's a verse that was found in Deuteronomy. It's 6, 5 through 9. And in this verse, it gives the secret of what gave all of these people the immense ability to stand up and do the right thing. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These commandments, which were the commandments that Moses had given to them, these commandments are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. It says to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's this verse talking about? It's giving us a promise that if we will take the time and we will take the effort to build into our children, it will become upon their heart. We will be impressing something onto them that will be with them for the rest of their lives. This is a seven day a week 24-hour-a-day deal for parents, for extended family, for community to build into children during this unbelievably critical time. I got my undergraduate degree in psychology, and I got my master's degree in biblical studies. And I remember when I was studying uh, my master's degree, um, I came across a verse that said this, it said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many of you know that verse very well. It's a promise, but it's a conditional promise, not an unconditional promise. There are things you have to do in order to make sure that that comes about. And I remember back in my days studying psychology, looking at cognitive and moral development of such greats as Kohlberg and Piaget and Skinner, and I kind of smiled to myself and I thought, man, those guys could have saved themselves so much time and energy if they just would have looked in the Bible and saw this verse, that what we put into our kids when they're younger will come out when they are adults. Let me show you a chart up here on the screen that signifies what secular psychology in, as far as development goes has found out. I can put that up there real quick. There it is, moral development and cognitive development. Cognitive de development is the ability to do, to, uh, excuse me, to deduce, to problem solve, to pay attention, to think. Obviously our moral development are learning right from wrong, what honesty, integrity, faith, grace, Lots of different things that we need to have poured into us. Well, you see the cognitive development line, <clears throat> as a person grows, obviously from a very young age, it continues to increase. And research shows that about the age of 35 is when that cognitive development kind of peaks out. But you also look at this moral development line, and it's a much different line than the cognitive it's the line that God created us to live within as we grow as children into adults. And as you can see, the moral development of a person peaks out around the age of 10 and drops significantly to about the age of 18, 19, where research shows that almost all of our morals and values are set 
in stone by that time. Now, I don't know what that chart tells you, but I know what it tells me, that that window of time for our moral development that we will carry with us for the rest of their lives, our lives, is very short. Very short. I like this next picture because it kind of shows what happens. That verse in Deuteronomy said it, we need to impress them upon our hearts, on our, the hearts of our children. It's like when we're young, God created us and designed us to have a six-lane superhighway that goes directly into our heart. I like to define our heart as a moral warehouse where we store all of the values and beliefs that we will carry with us for the rest of our lives. Now, the Bible says that when we are born, unfortunately, we are born into sin, so Unfortunately, oftentimes that moral warehouse is already stocked with things like pride and disobedience and anger. And it's our uh, opportunity and our responsibility as leaders within the church, leaders in the family, extended family, community, to add new things to the shelf, things that God would want us to add, such as loyalty, forgiveness, grace, gentleness. How many of you have ever messed with wet concrete? Maybe you poured a driveway sometime or you had a foundation or you were just doing whatever. When you know when you put concrete down on the ground into its form, after it sets a little bit, you can go up and you can make an impression in it very easily, as a matter of fact. And the, the more wet it is, you're able to put your hand in and really quite a, get quite a bit of detail off of your hand into that concrete. But if you wait a couple of hours, it becomes more and more difficult. You can still press really hard, but the concrete's starting to set, so a lot of the detail from your hand is not going to be able to be impressed into the concrete until finally, when the concrete is completely hard, you put your hand on there, and it doesn't matter how hard you press, you cannot make an impression like you did just a few hours earlier. That's what children are like. We have an opportunity when kids are young to easily make an impression in their life. Easily to put morals and values into that moral warehouse. But there comes a point in time when that is gone. Now we could get out a chisel and a hammer and just chisel away at it, sweating, working. But it'll never look the same as what it could have looked like if you had done it when the concrete was fresh. Researchers show that after the age of 18, we still can acquire morals and values into our heart, into that moral warehouse, but it usually takes a highly um, critical or highly, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, we'll just leave it at critical because I can't come up with one. <laughs> critical time in our life where we have to go through a, an experience that's traumatic. That's the word I was looking for. A traumatic experience that would get that moral into our heart. And again, it goes back to that concrete. What could have been put there so easily when we were younger, now in order to get there, is going to take a great amount of effort to get it there. Why is that? Let's take a look at this next picture. That six-lane superhighway that used to go directly into our moral warehouse is now, as you can tell, just a dusty road that leads from here to here. What happens is now that that concrete is set and it's hard, those things like loyalty, forgiveness, grace, gentleness, 
They have to pass through up here. We are now cognitive reasoning creatures. We are no longer moral reasoning creatures like we were when we were younger. Therefore, everything has to pass through here in order to get here, and that often doesn't happen. Give you an example. You're at work, and you did something that maybe was unintended or accidentally intended, and it's going to get you in trouble when your boss finds out or your supervisors. When you were younger, nobody had really implanted the moral and the value and the belief of integrity and honesty into you. That wasn't put in your moral warehouse. As you got older, you saw the value of integrity and honesty. And so you had it up here. You knew what was right. You knew what was wrong. But if it's only up here, then what happens? Well, we begin to rationalize. We begin to weighing the good versus the bad. We begin to think, well, maybe just this one time, God, I will disobey you to save myself the pain of what is to come. That will happen more often than not, just because of our cognitive abilities. But if integrity and honesty was built into you when you were younger, it's no longer up here, it's now in here. And what's the point of it being in here? Now it's affecting your emotions. You have the ability to make a decision. You know what is right, you know what is wrong, and you know that when you make the right decision, you'll feel pride in making that decision, and you'll know you'll feel guilt if you make the wrong decision. It's no longer just a rational thought. It's a part of your DNA. It's a part of who you are emotionally. Well, as you can imagine, put that person in the same position, and yeah, they're going to be tempted, obviously, to still tell that little white lie, but they won't because they will know that the guilt that they will suffer in doing that would be too great. It would be more painful than if they follow the path of obedience. And that's what we want for our kids, isn't it? I mean, we know the true success in the Christian life only comes through obedience because obedience leads to good things. It leads to maturity. It leads to growth. It leads to us becoming the leaders that God wants us to be. But if our kids are not set up in their heart with that emotional passion to do what's right, then they're going to struggle being obedient they're going to struggle becoming the leaders God wants them to be. They're going to struggle fulfilling the purpose that God created them on this earth to fulfill. So if we know that this time in childhood is important, why don't we take kids more seriously? I mean, the Bible tells us it's important. Even secular psychology and developmental psychology tells us it's important. Well, I think there's several reasons. A lot of it has to do with what kids look like. I mean, if you've ever worked with kids, you'll often notice that, yeah, they're just kind of squirrely. You know, you look at them, and they're having fun all the time, and it's like everything's a big game. Or you might look at them, and you see them out on the beach, and they got that crazed look in their eye, and not quite sure why they have that, but you just let them be and let that get out of their system. Or you might see them like this, and yeah, they're the disobedient, defiant, and you're like, man, I, how many times have I told you to clean your room, but yet here we are, and your room is still a mess. And oftentimes, also, we look at kids, and we see them, and we go, are you listening to anything I have 
to say today? That's why we think of them as just kids, because we so focus on what we see on the outside that we don't have any indication of what God is really doing on the inside. People who work with kids, you parents who work with your kids, you have to be people of vision because oftentimes what you are pouring into your kids, you won't see the benefits of until they get into late high school and college. But you can know that when you do, when you don't allow Satan to trick you into thinking they're just kids, they're just little beings who run around on this planet that we just got to keep safe and keep happy until they reach a point where then we can really start to teach them the things of God. That's what Satan wants you to believe. And he has succumbed most of Christianity into believing that. I read a kind of staggering statistic. 90% of all Jewish children who are raised within their Jewish heritage stay with their Jewish heritage, Jewish heritage when they get uh, to become adults. 90% of all Amish children who are raised within the Amish, Amish tradition continue with their Amish heritage when they get to be adults. 20% of all Christian children who were, are raised within the Christian church stay with Christianity when they become adults. We're not doing something right. And I think it all centers around what, what do people, cultures like the Jewish culture and the Amish culture, what are they doing? Well, I think we all know that they're very family oriented. <laughs> they take this, these verses seriously in Deuteronomy where they're working 24 seven in this short window of time to build the morals and values into their kids. And they do so when they get older, they're not gonna leave and go look for something else. That's what God is calling all of us to be doing. But in order to do that, we've got to take this critical time in every one of our lives, this time called childhood. And I hope that by the time we're done here today, the, whatever thought process you had about kids when you walked in here has changed when you walk out. Because they're not just kids. This is the most critical time in our human being's life. We have the opportunity as church members, as parents, as grandparents, as extended family, as a community, to form a plan, to form a vision of what we want our kids to be like. It's our job. God doesn't say, oh yeah, let the world make the impression on them or let them make their own impression on them. No, the Bible says it's our job to impress his values, his beliefs while they're young into their life. And when we do, when that concrete sets, that's who they'll be. What an incredible opportunity all of us have within a church to do that. What are some quick steps that we can take? Well, one, as parents, extended family, grandparents, you've got to know that it's your responsibility. You've got to take the spiritual role in the family. The church is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible as being the sole responsibility of kid, a child's education. You've got to be able to assume that role. You can't let the world do it. Number two, you've got to develop a plan for spiritual growth. Do you have a plan, parents? 
of what you want your child to look like when they get into high school? Have you listed out maybe 12, 15, 18 qualities that you want them to have in their life? Integrity, honesty, faith, love, compassion. And are you doing things right now to build those things into them while they're young? Because if you do, when you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, because it's printed in his moral DNA, he will not depart from it. All of us would love to have our kids grow up to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wouldn't we? Man, have that moral ability to stand in the face of death and say, I'm not going to bow. God gives all of us that opportunity. You might be looking back on your own life and going, man, there are a lot of things I struggle with today because I know that those weren't built into me and I've got them up here, but I don't got them down here. And I challenge you to, to break that cycle and go, I'm not gonna let that happen for the kids of this church. I'm not gonna let that happen for the kids in my family, my grandkids. I'm gonna make sure that those morals and values are planted and printed on their heart so that they don't struggle with a lot of the things that I struggle with. We have an armor that we can give to our kids, an armor that will protect them. If we teach them the right values, we teach them the right beliefs, it's a suit that we can put on them that will protect them from making bad choices into the future. And it will give them the integrity to be able to stand once they reach adulthood to become the leaders that God designed them to be. I want to show a video. I had an opportunity to give this message a couple years ago at, at Fellowship, and I concluded with this little uh, monologue. And it kind of sums up basically everything we've been talking about in that the responsibility that we have as people, as a church, to pour into our kids. What if we had the knowledge, the technology, the skills, to make a suit that would protect our soldiers. It could protect them from bullets, from landmines, from rockets and suicide bombers, but unbelievably, we just didn't understand the importance of giving it to them. So instead of doing anything and everything to get this suit into the hand of our soldiers, we send them off to battle, have them stand on the front lines, get wounded, hopefully survive, maybe get put back together before we send them off, then we gave them the suit. Then, if we neglected our soldiers in that way, what kind of people would we be? But let me ask you another question. What if we had a suit that we could give to our children that would protect them as they encounter life? A suit built with knowledge, skills and values that would guard them against the dangers of this world. But again, because we just didn't fully understand the importance of what we had to give, we just decided to allow other things to take priority, to, to push it aside. Well, I feel I need to tell you, we have such a suit, a suit of hope, of character, of leadership, a kind of suit that is better than military armor because it is designed to protect a heart that will beat beyond this world. 
But if we don't give this suit to our kids during this most critical time in their life, we might as well be saying to them, we're gonna let you face the bullets of bad choices, the rockets of regret, the landmines of negative influences. And if you survive, we'll try to put you back together as best we can, and then we'll get serious about giving you the protection that you need, then. Thank God we are not a people of then. We are a people of now. We will take our stand in the battle for our children and we will face the enemy who comes against us. We won't wait for pain to teach our children about the God who heals. And we won't wait for mistakes to teach them about the character qualities found in his word. We will do it now. When they're listening, when they're learning, we will give them the tools. We will give them the knowledge. We will give them an actual relationship with the almighty ruler and creator of this world. Give your best and fight for your children. Don't ever say to yourself, they're just kids. For it is now that they deserve your passion, your commitment, and your utmost drive. For the kingdom of God belongs to them. As a church, we all have a great opportunity to make a difference in the lives of the kids who walk into this church. But parents, I want to challenge you. As you're thinking about your own kids and how you're going to impart those values into them, I want to challenge you that there are a lot of other things that can take you away from attending church on the weekends. I love Disney. If I lived here, I would be struggling mightily not being there every weekend. I understand. There's the beach. There's a lot of different things. But you got to realize the task that God has given to you, an eternal task, that over a brief period of time when your children are younger, you've got to be doing everything you can to build those morals and values into them. And part of the big element of that is making sure you're plugged into the church, that you're coming every weekend, that they're able to see other kids who believe what they believe, that other adults other than you are able to pour into them spiritually. I promise you, if you do that, if you make that a priority, someday when your kids get to be junior high and high school, you're going to be so proud of them because they're, you're gonna watch them make decisions. You're gonna watch them stand in the high schools, in their colleges, and they're not going to bow. And you're gonna be able to take pride in that knowing you are the one who built those into them.